This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. Many of us have made it a goal to create a sustainable skincare routine. But with terms clean or green skincare floating around, knowing what they actually mean can be pretty confusing. In today's episode, I spoke with Lorraine Delmeyer, a biologist, chartered environmentalist, and the CEO of Formula Botanica, about what green beauty really is, the good and bad beauty trends out there right now, how to develop your own green skincare routine, and more. Hello, Good Together listeners, and welcome to today's conversation about all things clean beauty. Uh, if you have been listening uh, to our podcast for a while, you probably have heard me talk about how I actually don't know much about clean beauty, especially the science behind it, right? Um, if you have been listening to uh, a few of our past episodes recently, you have also should probably know that we have just launched the Brightly Shop experience, right, that features a lot of our favorite clean beauty and personal care products, right? And uh, you probably know that every single product that you're seeing on the Brightler shop is actually has been tested by us. Um, obviously, I myself or even Laura cannot test every single one of them. So uh, every single product is tested by at least three of Brightly team members, uh, including RV ambassadors too. So I definitely have my clear favorites in Clean Beauty. You've heard us talk about this in the previous episodes, so we're not going to go into that. But what I'm talking today about um, is really the science and the knowledge behind Clean Beauty. What actually is Clean Beauty? Is it an, uh, a term we should be using? And to help me uh, understand all of this, we have here today Lorraine Delmeyer. Lorraine is a chartered environmentalist, full member of the Royal Society of Biology, full member of the Society of Cosmetic Scientists, and full member of the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment. So I'm very stoked to have Lorraine here with me. Uh, as, you, as you can imagine, she has a ton of knowledge to share with us. And Lorraine also hosts the Green Beauty Conversations podcast, where she challenges listeners on how to view green beauty. So that's exactly what we will be doing here on today's episode. So Lorraine, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience and kind of, I, I'm, I would love to know how did you get into clean beauty and uh, what fascinated you in that space? 
Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. It's lovely to be here. So I'm Lorraine and I run Formula Botanica. We're an online organic cosmetic formulation school and we have over 14,000 students. We train people in organic beauty formulation. We teach people how to make their own skincare and hair care. And for me, it all really started, gosh, when I, I think I went on maternity leave the first time. I have to say my eldest son is now 11, so this is a while ago already. And when I was on maternity leave, I just kept thinking, not only do I want to do something and work for myself, I don't want to go back to my day job anymore, but I also want to do something with plants. So I studied as a biologist. I went and did a master's degree in environmental management. I then became a chartered environmentalist. For me, the whole concept of working with nature and with plants was, was so important. And I thought, how can I bring this more into my life? And I thought, I want to learn to formulate. I want to learn to make my own organic skincare and hair care and makeup. And so I ended up um, taking a small online course with the intention of starting my own skincare brand. And I loved it so much. And it changed my life so quickly because all of a sudden I had this skill I could formulate. I could make these products by myself. And it was such an empowering thing to be able to do that I suddenly realized, wow, you know, if this has changed my life so quickly, how many other people's lives could I change with this? And then I had the opportunity to actually take over and buy Formula Botanica. And it was a, a tiny sort of side hustle in those days. Uh, so I, I bought the whole school on maternity leave with the intention of it being my sort of hobby business side hustle. And it grew and grew and grew. And within four months, I'd quit my job. And uh, here we now are almost eight years later. I have 40 staff. As I said, we have over 14,000 students. And we are now on a mission to teach the world to formulate because everyone can do this. And it, it's so much fun. So I guess that's sort of a potted history of, of uh, where I've come from and where we are today. That is awesome. That is that is awesome because yeah, um, obviously as as we are researching products uh, for the Brightly shop, as you know, we've been working and recommending a lot of products um, even over the past year and a half. Um, you know, we always try and understand um, you know what's working, what's not, what is clean ingredient versus not, but. Yeah, to actually, I would definitely be so intimidated to go and try actually to formulate my own product. Uh, so that that is awesome what you are doing, especially I can imagine how much demand you have, because again, what we're seeing in the space right now, right, there's so many clean beauty brands, eco-friendly products in every single category, which is great news, right? But how can we sort through it, right, to really understand? So this is kind of the point of this conversation, right? Let's help our listeners to really understand what's working, what's not, what's clean, what's not, and what um, we all should be looking for when we are building our own clean skincare routine. So, um, yeah, when you think about natural and green skincare, what comes to mind and what do those words actually mean? This is such a great question because I think a lot of people get quite confused by the different terminology. And I think a lot of people sit there and go, oh, you've got clean, you've got natural, you've got green, you've got eco, you've got organic, you've got sustainable, you've got ethical. What does this mean? And so we, because um, of course I run a school, so we have to think about these things all the time. So I will say first and foremost, the term that we use at Formula Botanica is organic because organic is something that can be certified. There is no ambiguity about what an organic ingredient is, really. You've got certification bodies around the world. There are various ones, but in general, they all seem to agree pretty much on organic standards. So that's why we go with organic. 
But nonetheless, a lot of people come and study with us and they don't necessarily want to go organic. Getting certification can be costly. They just want to go natural. So then you have that question, as you exactly said, what does natural mean? So we decided quite a few years ago that we had to define it for ourselves. And we were so happy with the definition we came up with that it was actually the first podcast episode we ever recorded for Green Beauty Conversations. And it now seems to have become really a, a sort of guideline that people in the indie beauty sector use quite a lot. And I see a lot of people say, what does natural mean? And then refer back to Formula Botanica. So I think we've sort of set the definition for this now. So natural, we say that there are different shades of natural because as with everything, it isn't black and white. So we tend to say that there are three different shades of natural and I'll, I'll just walk you through them very quickly here. So the first one is that your ingredient is purely natural and hasn't undergone any chemical processing. It has only undergone physical processing. So think of a plant that you can effectively pluck from a tree. Um, you might be looking at a fruit or a nut. You, um, and then, for instance, a good example is cold pressed oils, because then you might be expressing an oil directly from a fruit or a nut. And that hasn't undergone any chemical processing, just physical processing. So that's purely natural. Shade number one. Shade number two is that something has undergone a minimal amount of chemical processing, but was originally derived from a plant. So often this is, uh, you see this a lot with functional ingredients. So when you're making a lotion, that's what we call an emulsion. It's where you blend oil and water together and you use an ingredient called an emulsifier to do that. A lot of those emulsifiers have to be uh, derived from nature if you want them to be natural, but then they have to undergo an element of chemical processing. We call that naturally derived. Not everyone wants to work with naturally derived ingredients, and that's totally fine because you can still work with amazing oils and butters and waxes, for instance. That's shade number two. And then shade number three is what we call nature identical. And that means that the ingredient is chemically identical to the one that's found in nature, but it has been synthesized in a lab. So a really good example is citric acid, which is used in cosmetics, but it's also used in food and drink. It's a very well-known ingredient, and that can be derived from lemons. It can also be derived through bacterial fermentation. It can also be synthetically made in a lab. And given the hundreds of millions of tons that we use of citric acid around the world each year, perhaps it's more sustainable that it is actually derived in a lab than that it is that it comes from a lemon. So that's nature identical. Again, not everyone wants to work with those ingredients and that's totally fine. So those are what we say the three shades of natural are, purely natural, naturally derived and nature identical. And when you become a formulator or even when you're shopping, it's good to know where you stand on this because that gives you a bit of a guideline for what you want to work with. And then I think your other question was green skincare. And for me, because of course I host the Green Beauty Conversations podcast, so green beauty is, is a term that I know and love. For me, that's more about bringing the sustainability and the environmental aspects into it. And being a chartered environmentalist, that's incredibly important to me. And that's where I think we take natural one step further and we say, right, what is actually the right thing for the planet and for society here as well as part of the, the choices that we're making in the products that we formulate. So I guess that's, those are my two main definitions, I think. I love the learning about how you guys define natural. That's, that's really fascinating. And I didn't even know that, um, you know, naturally derived and naturally, uh, natural identical. That's, that's 
great. Um, so yeah, let's kind of dig deeper into the in ingredient side of things. Uh, you uh, you have a school for clean beauty formulations, right? Um, so you, if you were to create your own skincare line, what ingredients would you avoid, uh, and what a sustainable ingredients would you know you maybe focus on? So from my perspective, I think less about what I'd avoid and more about what I'd want to put in there. So we teach how to work with organic and natural ingredients. That means we don't work with synthetic ingredients. They're out there. They do their own thing. They have nothing to do with me. So I don't even really think about them, to be honest. <laughs> and often people come to me and say to me, which ingredient shouldn't I use, Lorraine? And I'm always like, well, let's focus more on what you should use and then build it up from there. Because I think it's really important to bring that positivity into your formulation from the ground up. So we tend to recommend that people work with ingredients that really mean something to them. Because there are thousands of botanical ingredients out there that you can use in your formulations, and it can get a little bit overwhelming when you first start out. So it's often good to really think about what grows local to you, first of all, as well, because, you know, it can be very exciting once you start to look at all the exotic ingredients that grow around the world. But perhaps harvesting them on the other side of the world and having them shipped to you isn't the most sustainable thing that you could do. So we, we tend to work with ingredients or we tend to encourage our students to work with ingredients that mean something to them. And we've had, as I said, over 14,000 students now go through our courses. And I'd say, well, thousands of them either already had a brand or started a brand and grew that brand as a result of, of the training that they went through with us. And they all made something different, but they all took the same courses with us. So we teach people not to follow recipes, not to be a DIYer, but how to become a formulator. So if I was going to start my own skincare line, I would look at what grows around me. I live in the UK. I work in the UK. So I would be looking at oils that are grown here, uh, borage seed oil, rapeseed oil, that sort of thing. But you can see it's very specific to me then. Um, I love growing herbs in my garden. I would probably have things in there like calendula and chamomile and, and rosehip. But those, again, are very personal to me. If I lived in Kenya or if I lived in Nicaragua or if I lived in Australia, I would choose something different. And that's the really exciting thing about formulation. And I know at the beginning you said, I don't think I would dare to formulate, but it is so, so simple. This is a skill that we've lost as a society, but that people used to have. And we've been told by the beauty industry, you can't do this. You have to be a chemist. You have to wear a white lab coat. You have to have a PhD in science, but nothing could be further from the truth. Everyone can make their own lip balms and lotions and cleansers and be inspired by the ingredients around them. It's so empowering and exciting once you get started because you surround yourself with these beautiful herbs and roots and seeds and flowers and petals and, and plants. And you sit there and you think, yes, now I'm connecting with nature. Now I'm bringing this element of wellness into my life and into the formulations that I'm creating. And that, as I said, is incredibly empowering. That's uh, that's a great point to kind of focus on local ingredients. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, especially when we're trying to keep the planet in mind. So um, you're talking about, you know, natural ingredients uh, that let, let's say we do want to have a formulation with natural ingredients, um, sourcing them locally as much as possible. Um, I have uh, been very curious in terms of can some of the natural ingredients, can they be uh, irritating for the skin or is, does it depend on the skin type? Can it be balanced with some other ingredients in terms of um, making the whole you know, product less irritating? Um, that's, that's, again, I haven't done much research on this end, but that's one of the things that I have 
you know, I have learned as um, I was trying to build my own personal skincare routine? Yeah, of course. It's a great question. And it's a good question to ask because every ingredient could irritate someone. And often I see formulators start really complicated and they put, you know, a dozen ingredients into a formulation, they give it to a friend, and then that friend might potentially have a skin reaction. And then you don't know what the ingredient was that caused it because you've made it so complex. So we tend to get people to start really, really simple and then layer in more complicated ingredients as they go on once they learn the basics. It's always good to to learn how to walk before you can run. Um, But yes, of course, there are natural ingredients that can irritate. And this is where, as a formulator, you have to understand the the limits of what you can and can't work with. Uh, So one thing that we teach our students is dermal limits. You have to know the dermal limits of your essential oils, for instance. I see some absolutely shocking advice on the internet, (laughs) particularly on social media platforms and in groups where people are going, oh, yeah, just put this neat on your skin. And you can't do that. For instance, if you take an essential oil as an example, and I'm sure many of your listeners have worked with essential oils, they are incredibly potent chemicals, compounds. You know, big. Um, you can harvest, I don't know, five acres of one particular herb, and you might only get a couple of liters of essential oil out of that. So you're really packing the plant into these teeny tiny little bottles. And then you have to be mindful and respectful of the fact that those plants are absolutely packed full of chemical chemicals. I mean, a rose flower alone can contain over 500 different chemical compounds, which is amazing, which is also why the synthetic varieties will never be able to mimic them because they are so complicated that we'll never be able to recreate that in a lab. So it is good to know exactly what those limits are. And once you start to work with, for instance, essential oils, you learn those dermal limits. And we we teach our students this as well. So yeah, it isn't as easy as just throwing everything together. But once you know the parameters in which you work, and of, of course we teach this, then you can absolutely make safe, stable and sellable cosmetics. But someone out there might still react to it because everyone's skin type is different and every ingredient is different. I know people who can't handle rose on their skin. I know people who can't handle aloe vera on their skin. And that's totally fine because they can then avoid that. But yes, you're right. Not all natural ingredients are necessarily always going to work for everyone. Mm-hmm. So would you say it's true from what I um, heard you say, would we, should we as consumers be looking for, you know, if we're looking at the ingredient list, should we go for a product that has fewer ingredients than more? Is that kind of a good rule of thumb or no? I think if you have very sensitive skin, it is good to use that rule of thumb. Personally, we like that at Formula Botanica. We like to teach people how to make more potent formulations with fewer ingredients. I'm all about the simplicity because you can make an incredible lip balm with three ingredients. You know, it doesn't have to be a massive ingredients list. But saying that, sometimes people want to include more ingredients and there's nothing wrong with that either. But yes, if you know that you're going to have sensitive skin issues and you know that you typically react, then it is good to try and go simple. And or of course you can learn to make your own and that's just as empowering <laughs> exactly so yeah i actually did not have this question um, um on my on my list already but i would love for you to tell me um my question is i again i i know i said like i don't know much about skincare but obviously as any woman uh, of a certain age at some point i have done some research about skincare right so uh, what is um a good 
kind of skincare routine in terms of how many products you need to have. I'm all about um, multi-purpose products, you know, less is more. But what are, what would you say the three most essential skincare steps for like anyone kind of uh, I know again different skin types different ages but you know for most of the people out there what like three steps are the most critical well I'm rather than me tell you I'll get our community to tell you because actually I recorded a podcast episode on this recently about skinimalism and I, I think we're going to come on to this topic anyway because it, it probably ties in very well with what your podcast stands for um, but I wanted to know what the most essential products were for people. So I, uh, we run a big group on Facebook called the Skincare Entrepreneur Mastermind. We have almost 50,000 members in there. So I decided to poll them and say, what is the most essential skincare product for you? And I was fascinated to see what would come back. You know, I thought sunscreen might be number one, how wrong I was. <laughs> so the number one skincare product on the list was a cleanser which I thought was fascinating because that's not the product that most people come to us want to learn to make first and foremost. The second one was a moisturizer. And then the third one was a serum. And uh, in place number four on the list, it, we did finally find the humble sunscreen, but it just goes to show that people very much view those, that holy trinity of cleanser, moisturizer, serum still as the ones that they view as the most essential. And those are also the ones that most people want to learn to formulate when they come to us. Now, I will say the list went on and on and on. There were a lot of votes for all sorts of things on there, which I found fascinating because it just goes to show that what's essential to one person isn't necessarily essential to another. And it's very easy for me, for instance, to go out into the world and say, everyone must just use a cleanser, moisturizer and serum because that's what's most sustainable, have fewer products. But then those people on the list who said, my eye gel actually is my most essential product. You know, I'd be doing them a disservice. So it's different for everyone. But I'd say that's probably the holy trinity that, that really came out of it, the cleanser, moisturizer and serum. That's awesome. And I would totally personally agree. That's that's the three products that I use most often. Now I'm starting to pay more attention to sunscreen, of course. So yeah, let's talk about cleanser, moisturizing serum. Um, so what ingredients I should be looking for Um in a cleanser, moisturizing serum that would work for most people? Well, again, everyone is slightly different here. So that's why we love to teach people how to create formulations that mean something to them or their target audience. I'd say I'm a big, big fan of oils, carrier botanical oils or plant-based oils. And I think those are ones that people should have in their skincare routine somewhere. But saying that those can be incorporated into a moisturizer, those can be incorporated into a serum or a cleanser as well. It is very, very personal. And I think this is something that you have to experiment with. And it is something that we haven't really had a chance to experiment with all that much over the, uh, over the decades, because a lot of the mainstream beauty products that are out there don't necessarily contain a lot of potent botanical ingredients. They may claim to on the bottle, but in reality, really the, the vast majority of the the product that you buy is, is generally water. So it's good to go and tap into some of the indie brands out there and see what sort of hero ingredients they use. And I see that a lot of the, uh, the graduates who come through our courses, you know, they might choose one hero ingredient that comes back all the time. For instance, we have a, a graduate in uh, New York called uh, Nopalera, uh, one of our amazing graduates called Sandra, and she uses the nopal oil, the prickly pear seed oil, because that's part of her heritage, and she infuses that into every single one of her uh, every single one of her formulations. Or we have a couple of graduates here in the UK 
um, called Bybee, who are doing exceptionally well. They're now also sold in Target in the US and in Sephora worldwide. And, you know, they use a lot of bacuchiol and that's a big thing for them. That's one of their hero ingredients. And I, I see everyone come out with different ones. And I think it's good to really actually do a little bit of research on what your own skin needs are. I mean, for instance, this uh, last week I've been formulating with sea buckthorn CO2 extract, sea buckthorn oil. It's incredible. I mean, it's bright orange. It's full of beta carotenes. It's highly antioxidant rich. I love it. I go through trends all the time and so do customers. So I think it's good to connect with smaller brands who formulate really potent, wonderful botanical formulations and then find out what their hero ingredients are and learn from them and then go and sample them. And your skin changes over the years, as we know as well. So what's good for you now might not be what was good for you 10 years ago. So I, I encourage consumers to really go and experiment because it's fun. And we all love having lots of skincare in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's very interesting to know that there is really um, no specific ingredient for every product um, that you kind of must have. Um, and yeah, I, I'm definitely a huge fan of, you know, trying uh, products first. Of course, you know, when shopping online, you know, shipping samples is not ideal, but it's still better to try something first to make sure it's working for you uh, instead of buying a whole kind of um package of something that might not work for you at all. Um, so let's talk about the trends. You've mentioned, um, you know, beauty, green beauty trends. So what are some trends that maybe happened recently uh, over the uh, past few years? Some green beauty trends that are actually more har harmful than helpful. I would love to learn about some of them. This is such a good question. No one's ever asked me this, but there are a couple. Um, so we've uh, the one that really gets up my nose the most actually is waterless beauty. And I've seen so many people talk about this and it's really being heralded as this big breakthrough in sustainability. But the thing that everyone misses, the point that everyone misses is that every single consumer product has a water footprint. So if you make a balm or an oil or something that doesn't contain water, that doesn't mean it's waterless necessarily, because to grow the ingredients that are in there, you had to use a lot of water. To ship those ingredients to you, you had to use a lot of water. To package them, to you know get them to your customer, you had to use a lot of water because it's part of the, the manufacturing processes and the shipping processes, etc. 70% of the world's fresh water is used for agriculture. So when you realize that, you can't just say, my waterless balm here never came into contact with any water. And I find that a real greenwashing trend, actually. And it really bothers me that that's catching on because it doesn't mean anything. Yes, it's good to have a, a product that maybe contains less water because we don't need all of these products packed full of water. But we need to acknowledge the fact that water is a scarce commodity and a lot of people around the world now live in water poverty. So just claiming that something is waterless is not necessarily the right thing to do. The other one that I'd like to mention is biodegradable beauty. I've actually got a podcast coming up on this because I wanted to unpick what this meant. And the more that my colleague and I unpicked it, the more we started scratching our heads because we realized that people use this term biodegradability literally all the time and no one actually knows what it means. And no one actually really has that much data about the biodegradability of their ingredients or their packaging. And I find that quite harmful that we're using terms like this and we're giving people the impression that our packaging will just happily break down in the compost bin when that's not actually the case. So 
it's a very complicated topic. I don't suggest we go into it too deep here. I've got a whole podcast coming out about it in August, but it's I, I see a lot of people using these terms without really understanding what they mean. And I think we as an industry, as a sector, could do a lot better and challenge ourselves a little bit more on that. And that's obviously also why why I host um, my Green Beauty Conversations podcast as well, to try and get that message out into the world. That's fascinating. Um, I, I love that. We definitely will look into that or listen to your podcast episode, Waterless Beauty. That's an interesting trend. And it's a great point. Everything has water or at least has touched water or used water at some point in, in terms of product formulation and biodegradable for sure. Um, this is something we are working internally uh, at Brightly as well. You know, when we are, you know, looking at products, testing, learning about them. Um, yeah, one thing I really love uh, what brands do, and this is something even what we are doing in terms of our own packaging materials, for example. I love it when brands don't just say biodegradable or recyclable or something like that. They tell you specifically what to do, right? Like throw me into your compost bin or, you know, put me into recycling bin because I, as a consumer, really appreciate these directions because I'm still confused about all of these terms. And um, again, at Brightly, one of our ultimate goals is to take the overwhelm out of the sustainable living Um, yeah and just sorry just to interrupt you that one final thing I want to say on this is my colleague actually took some of those instructions literally a few years ago and she took some of the packaging that the brands said to her this is um this is biodegradable put me on your compost heap and she put it on her compost heap and now three years later it's still there so I think it's good to try these things out and call brands out as well on some of the, the things they say, because I don't think they've always thought it through. And it's a, it's a good way of exposing any greenwashing that you do see. Yeah, because again, how many of us actually do that? That, that is yeah. true. And then uh, three years later, you know, check, go and check <laughs> on the results. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So um, let's talk about maybe for uh, for those of us who are just starting to build their skincare routine. A lot of our community members, skincare is always like the number one topic in our product recommendations chat group. So when they're starting, and this is something I actually have uh, gone through, as you're starting to uh, look for sustainable, uh, clean beauty swaps for your traditional products, what what is the starting point? Maybe what are the basic first questions to ask yourself? Uh, what products should we start with when we are like completely changing our routine um, and making it clean? I think the first place to start is to look at your bathroom shelf and look at how many products you have stood there. So the average woman apparently has 16 beauty products on her bathroom shelf, which is obviously why we now have the phenomenon of the shelfie. It came from somewhere. We've bought too many things. Um, So I think it's good to go and look at your bathroom shelf and to take a really long, hard, critical look at it and think, do I actually need all this stuff in my life? Because you don't. And this is where I think everyone should start is what do I actually want for my skin? Is the cleanser the most important thing for me? Is Do I need this balm? Do I prefer this moisturizer? Do I like a light moisturizer or a heavy moisturizer? What changes throughout the seasons? Make a short list for yourself about what you really want and then start to look at what you could buy in terms of multitasking or multifunctional products. You know, I sometimes get sent balms that I can use as a cleansing balm, as a moisturizing balm, as a hair balm, as a body balm. You know, there are lots of really fun ways of multitasking with your skincare. And I think that's a really good place to start if you want to go green, if you want to go more sustainable. Um, 
Everyone's skin is different though. So I could sit here on the podcast and say, you must all use a foaming cleanser, but I'm sure there are many listeners thinking actually, you know, foaming cleansers don't work for my skin. So I think you really have to critically look at what you already have and start to scale it down a little bit because none of us need all of these products in our life. The most important thing is that our skin is healthy and that we're comfortable in our own skin. And I think a lot of green beauty products can really help with that. And then the next step I would take is I would start to look for indie beauty brands that really connects with you as an individual. There are so many fantastic brands, founder-led brands started by women just like everyone listening today who have a mission and everyone's mission is slightly different and everyone will connect with those missions in a different way. And uh, you know, we on our formulabotanica.com website, we have a graduate gallery filled with different graduate brands from all across the world. You can even sort them by geographical region. And I go and look at them sometimes and I sit there and I think, wow, these people are so inspiring and so amazing. And, and I can connect to them all in a slightly different way. And I, I would encourage your listeners to do the same, you know, try and find a brand that really speaks to you. If sustainability is the big thing for you, go and find one that is all about sustainability, that wants to go carbon neutral or carbon negative. You know, if ingredient sourcing is the thing for you, then go and find ones that use really innovative, maybe blockchain technology to even source their ingredients so you can see on their website where those ingredients have even come from. So I'd say slim it down, go and critically audit your own bathroom shelf and have a look at what you think you, you maybe don't need. Try and replace some of those formulations with more multifunctional ones and then start to try and connect with indie brands that, that really speak to you. Or as a, a third option, learn to make it yourself because that's probably the most sustainable thing of all. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I love that advice. And um, I, I love the point you made that, you know, again, there are so many options out there. So you need to start with what's really important to you. That's exactly what we say it brightly. We ha actually have um, a quiz called basically, what's your sustainability superpower, which basically we're asking ourselves, what is the thing that you care the most about, right? So for me, it's fair trade and human rights. That's why for me, you know, whenever I see fair trade ingredient, ingredients and beauty products, that's kind of where I go. And it's a great way to think about it to, again, to avoid this overwhelm, like, where do I start? There's so many options. Think about what's important to you and what works for you. Can you, you've shared so many amazing tips already. I love it, but maybe you can share one or two more actionable tips on living more sustainably. And this can be completely general, doesn't have to do with skin, skincare and beauty. Well, I, I'll keep it on the skincare line since we're on there at the moment. I think there are two things that I would recommend everyone looks into. First of all, embrace skinimalism. I think it is a fantastic movement. I think it is going to become much, much bigger than it already is. And I think, you know, death to the shelfie, we don't need this in our life anymore. No one needs to, no one needs this on their social media feeds. So that's the first one for me. Go and think about how you can actually use less. Do, do more with less. And as you said earlier, you know, more multifunctional, more multi-purpose, longer lasting products in your life. It's a good thing to do. I think the second thing that everyone can do to live more sustainably is learn how to formulate. And I know, of course, I'm going to say that because I run Formula Botanica, but honestly, it is so empowering and so much fun. And then rather than going out and buying products that you don't need, you can actually make what you need as and when you need it. And not only that, you can also tailor it to your own skin or hair needs. I mean, there is nothing more empowering than that. 
And I can tell you, you know, I spent all of last week formulating. I'll be formulating next week because we are we are filming at the moment. We've got lots of new marketing videos coming out. And it is so much fun to surround yourself with all these fragrant, amazing botanicals. So those are the the two main things that I would recommend everyone does, because honestly, there is nothing more fun than making your own beauty products. I love it. I love it. That That's great advice. And yes, death to the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and it's awesome. So uh, last question, what excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? For me, it's all about circularity. And this, I think, is incredibly exciting because I think the beauty industry as it looks now is going to look completely different in 10, 20 years time. I It can't. Uh, it can't keep going the way it is. I mean, we produce over 120 billion units of packaging for the beauty industry every single year. That is so profoundly unsustainable that has to stop. And that's where circularity comes in. And not just that, obviously, also skinimalism ties into this. We need to consume less as a whole. But this idea of us actually being able to reuse elements of our beauty products, take our containers back to the refilling station, maybe go and buy a week's worth or a month's worth or whatever, three months worth of shampoo in one go. I mean, that is incredibly exciting. And that's where beauty has to go. So I think I'm already starting to see some of the the larger players, but also smaller players start to really get into refilling stations. I think that's incredibly exciting and empowering. So other than making your own formulations, circularity is where it's going to go. And as I said, beauty will look very different in 20 years time. Love it. That's such a great way to finish the episode on this super positive and optimistic way. Um, I love it, Lorraine. Well, thank you so much for being here on our podcast. Really appreciate your advice. Uh, I learned so much myself. Um, would you like to let our listeners know uh, how they can get in touch with you? Oh, thank you very much. Yes. Well, you can find us at formulabotanica.com. We have a free online organic for, uh, cosmetic formulation course on there as well, which people love where you'll learn how to make a, a body butter. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at Lorraine Dalmer, and we have our Formula Botanica account on there, which is huge. So come and follow us for formulation tips and inspiration. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.